The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. And I want you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 10. And in Acts chapter 10, we're going to actually go through this entire chapter. So this is uh, 48 verses. So that's a lot of verses. I don't usually go over that many, but there is, there's a lot in here, and, and it's a story. It is a story, that, so my comments will be a little bit less, and just more reading and hearing this amazing story. It is the greatest miracle. We've seen a couple of miracles. We, we've seen a miracle of a physical healing uh, as uh, you know, a lame man was able to walk, and then we saw an even greater miracle of a resurrection of a young lady named Tabitha. Jesus is in heaven, but through his apostle, Peter, he goes in and says, Tabitha, rise up. And resurrection is happening now through the apostles. But now we're gonna look at the greatest miracle of all, which is salvation. There is a, this is a powerful story, and it's a transitional time in the book of Acts, because we're now going to move, it's mostly been just the the Jewish world, and now for the first time, the gospel is going to explode beyond the Jewish world and reach into the Gentile world through a very special man and a very special story. Uh, And so that story is found in uh, Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. So let's read verses, or you can follow along as I read to you verses 1 through 8. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. (laughs) How many of you would love to hear an angel call you by name? How awesome would that be? That angels know us and that they know our name, count it a privilege to serve us. So here's this very special man, and the angel knows his name and calls out, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? Here's this beautiful, probably shining being, (laughs) and... He says, who is it, Lord? He doesn't know who it is. So he said to him, your prayers. Now listen to this very carefully, what the angel said. Because there are many of you here tonight that are like Cornelius. You love God. You pray. You are seeking God. Here you are in a service, in the midst of the rain and everything else. Well, listen to this. Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose nickname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius spoke to him and departed. Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. And so when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. 
Okay, so here's the first thing I want you to look at in your notes. Number one, a Roman centurion has a divine visitation from an angel of God. Now, one of our words for the year is visitation. Can I hear you say visitation? How many of you would love to have a divine visitation this year, 2021? How many of you need a divine visitation of 2021? So here he receives a divine visitation. He's a Roman soldier. Now, you know, Roman soldiers were the reason that he is there in the city of Caesarea. Caesarea is on the Mediterranean coast. It was the capital of the Roman government that was ruling over Israel. So Romans were not particularly loved by the Jewish people. They were there in military might and strength to control the people and to get their taxes for the Roman Empire. But interesting, here was a Roman centurion, and by the way, this is interesting in the Gospels as well as in the book of Acts, the story of the early church. Whenever a soldier is discussed in the Bible, and there are several centurions, you know, century is the word for 100, so it's a man who oversaw a unit of 100 other young Roman soldiers. So he's a man of authority, a man of command, and so forth. But every time a centurion is talked about, either by Jesus or in the Gospels or in the book of Acts, it's always in a positive light. So I just want to say to all of those who are in the military that generally are there to bring peace and safety and, and for the, you know, the common good, you are well honored, even within the stories of the Bible. And, and so we, can we say thank you to the, all the armed services and all that they do to protect us and for our freedom. So interesting, here was a man, he's a Roman, which means he was grown up, you know, he'd grown up in the, in the Roman ways, and yet he has, he's stationed, he's from Italy, but he is stationed in Israel, so he hears from the Jewish people and probably has to learn and study about who are these people, where do they, where do they come from, what's their story? So we would have heard the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, probably Moses, and their history, and the lineage, and the Ten Commandments, uh, and that they believed uniquely in only one God. So what's interesting is this Roman soldier, man of authority, centurion, became a believer in the God of the Jewish people. By listening to them, hearing them, there was something that impressed his mind and his heart. So he began to pray to the Jewish God of Israel, the Holy One of Israel. He began even to give, so it wasn't just the beginning of a spiritual journey, he actually gave them money. He, he took at his own salary and gave money in general toward maybe the temple or the Jewish people and to the Jewish religion. He was a man, a devout man, and a believing man up to a certain point in prayer. And I want to say this. Here was a man walking in the light that he had. As much, you know, he wasn't raised in a Jewish family, but he was there and he was learning about it, and he was walking in the light he had. And I just want to say that it is important that we all walk in the light that we have, and if you walk in the light God has given to you, he will give you more light. Can I hear an amen on that? He'll give you even more light. Now, as a typical Roman, he would have been introduced to all the Roman 
gods, Jupiter and Mars and Venus, uh, etc., but he had found those gods exposed to the enlightenment of Judaism, the concept of Judaism that there is one God. And therefore he became a God-fearer, not just any God or any named God, but the Holy One of Israel, and who loved the people of Israel. But he did not, you know, he didn't become Jewish. He didn't go all the way. Uh, so now here's what's interesting. The Jewish people 2,000 years ago obviously honored and respected Gentiles who were God-fears, who they were Gentiles, but they believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. On the other hand, there was only so close they would let them come within the Jewish religion. They certainly would not share their families with them. They wouldn't share their homes with them. They wouldn't share meals with them. There was a bit of a problem within the Jewish culture because, because they were special and because they were the chosen of God and because they did receive the Ten Commandments and God writing his word and will upon the stone tablets given to Moses, they had been lifted up with pride and with prejudice. And they looked down their nose at anyone who was not Jewish. Uh, th th this was not what God had ever intended for them to be. They literally thanked God. Many of the Pharisees thanked God. I wasn't born a Gentile, along with other things. But they, they had this pride and prejudice. And so God is about ready to do something absolutely supernatural. Now, we, here's what we learn about. The, he's praying this man named Cornelius, Roman soldier, who believes and fears in the one true God, who prays devoutly, who gives even money uh, to the Jewish cause. He's praying at the ninth hour. Do you know that's when the religious people pray. He was in the rhythm of praying at the ninth hour, which is one of the times of the sacrifice in the temple. So now God sends that man who is seeking after him a divine angel. He has a divine visitation. Now I want to just say this. Right now, with everything that is going on in our world and everything that's happening right now in this moment of the very beginning of 2021. The world, and there are some who are listening to this message right now, you are a God-fear. Maybe you had another tradition, maybe you were not raised Christian or whatever, but you have come to a place in your life and the very reason you're even listening to this message is you know that the God of the Bible is the real God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the real God. And you are honoring that, and you are curious, and you are listening. You're going in the light that, that you have, and I want you to know that God knows every one of you that is seeking after him. If there is someone who sincerely says, I, in the midst of this chaos, I need to know what's real, I need to know the truth, and you are making steps in practical ways to demonstrate that, your memorial goes up before God. God pays attention. Our Father in heaven sees your seeking him. He sees your deeds. He sees your way of life. He hears your cries, your petitions, your prayers. And I am telling you, a divine visitation is on your way. Amen. So let's look at verses 9 through 16. So God has been working with this man Cornelius. He now has an angel, and the angel tells him, hey, 
you need to go see this guy. He's my servant. His name is Peter. He's going to be at a house. And the angel tells him exactly where to go. Go to Simon. The guy's name is Simon. He is a tanner. And there's a guy named Peter. He's one of mine who is there. He'll tell you what to do. Wow. Very, very specific. Now in verses 9 through 16, notice this. God moves from Cornelius, who he just told to go see Peter. So now the Lord gives another divine visitation. Peter has a divine visitation in the form of a vision. Now what I want you to realize is that we, when God begins to give you vision, spiritual vision and insight, know this, God is working on the other end to give others divine vision and insight, and he will bring those two together at the perfect time. Amen? So let's go back and uh, beginning in verse 9. It says, The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray. It was about the sixth hour, another time to pray. He went up on the roof uh, to pray. And then he became very hungry, and he wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance, and he saw heaven opened, and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. So it was like a, you know, a, a covering over a picnic table. So I think this is funny. God will begin in the natural and then lead you into the spiritual. Peter was hungry, so he has a vision of food being let down from heaven to the earth. Isn't that funny? And isn't that cool? God uses the natural even to lead us into the spiritual. So it's coming down. He's hungry. He's looking at that. But then in verse 12, in it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, birds of the air. And the voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. <laughs> You're hungry, Peter, rise, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord. <laughs> Let me just say, you, you cannot say not so, Lord. <laughs> he is the Lord. You don't say no to the Lord. But Peter said no to the Lord on a few occasions. Anyway, he said not so, Lord. In other words, he's reacting. And I love God didn't strike him down. He didn't take his life or anything like that. God, he's, he, he probably gets a chuckle out of it. There goes Peter again. Not so, Lord. I'm not going to do that. For I have never eaten anything common or unclean. If you have a pen or a pencil, underline that. So what, what is happening is here is Peter. Peter basically, even though he was a fisherman, was what we would call a very uh, religious conservative Jewish man, meaning he followed the, the kosher diet. Yeah, the, the Bible in the Old Testament goes into a great length about the, the foods that are permitted and the foods that are not permitted. And by the way, we don't have to go, time to go into all of it, but I do want to say this. It is not just arbitrary, but you can find a medical, even in modern times, reason why certain things are cleaner food and healthy for you and your digestion, and these are the things that are not. And so there, there was a reason behind all that. But the Jewish people were very different. They stood out you know, from all uh, Gentiles because Gentiles believed in many gods and they would take their food and they would put it in front of their little idols and worship them. And in the New Testament it says, but the idol was nothing, but behind the idol was a real 
spirit or demon, and it created a lot of problems. So Jewish people are like, we can't eat with you. We can't have fellowship with you. But God is now doing something absolutely divine and supernatural. He, he's, he's not really trying to change Peter's diet as much as he is trying to change Peter's mind about people. There's a lesson involved here. Now, this is where many people get lost and they get hung up on the earthly things and the do's and the don'ts rather than the spirit behind it, going all the way back to even the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are not arbitrary rules. Do this and don't do that or you'll get punished. But it's a father's wisdom giving us guidance saying, avoid this, do not go this direction because it will destroy your mind, it will destroy your heart, it will destroy your spirit, it will destroy your soul. But this is right and righteous and healthy and healing and encouraging. You were made this way, designed this way, and you will walk in the midst of my joy and pleasure and delight. But there were those who had kind of settled down into an earthly rules, regulations, and it's what I eat or don't eat. Of course, Jesus came along and said, but there's a principle behind that. There is a spirit behind that that is much deeper and much more profound in relationship with the loving Heavenly Father. So that's what the Lord was dealing with Peter. He's trying to teach him. But notice what Peter says. I've never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again a second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. If God tell, you know, cleanses something and tells you it's okay, how many of you agree it's not good to argue with God? He can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants. If he says, I've cleaned it, cleansed it, and it's okay, it's okay, whether we understand it or not. Now, here's what's also interesting. This vision of these things that Peter immediately goes, no, that's unclean. I can't associate with that. And, of course, the Lord is going to make the application that there are certain people, Gentiles, that you call common or unclean, and you won't have anything to do with them. But, Peter, I want you to know my Father's heart loves those Gentiles, those lost sons and daughters. And my word and my will, and I sent my son to be the savior of the whole world, not just one people. So the Lord repeated this vision three times. <laughs> so this is kind of obvious. If God says something once, how many would agree that's enough? If he repeats it three times, it's very important. So this vision happened three different times. And then the object was taken up into heaven. So, Peter has a divine visitation in the form of a vision. God is getting ready to do something with Peter now. He, he's preparing Peter to realize, if there are foods that I can cleanse, there are human beings that I can cleanse, and that I'm going to send you to share the gospel with them. And in this story, so this is a story, this is a radical story, uh, of how the gospel is breaking through a barrier that was only inside a very, very small world of Jewish people. But now, for the first time, it's going to explode beyond the borders of Jews, 
and literally reach every nation, every language, every kindred, every tribe, every tongue, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe and trust in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You remember in the gospel when the Lord Jesus said to Peter, I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. You remember that? Isn't it interesting that literally it was Peter on the day of Pentecost that was given the key to preach the very first message in Jerusalem where 3,000 Jews from all over the world were there for the Feast of Pentecost and got saved. Peter was the key to open the door to the Jewish people first, but he was also the key to the Samaritans. In Acts chapter 8, the Lord brought Peter, who had the keys to the kingdom, to bring them into the spirit, to bring them into the full knowledge and understanding of salvation. And now thirdly, this is the third time that God is specifically using Peter, who has the key to reach the entire Gentile world, every country, every continent around the world. Now, Peter is not called to be the apostle to the Gentiles. We just read in the previous chapter, God called a man named Saul of Tarsus. He's going to be the missionary that goes and reaches all the Gentiles. But before Saul begins that international ministry, Peter is the one who opens the door. He is the man with the key to reach the first Gentile who happens to be a Roman centurion stationed in Caesarea in ancient Judea who is a man, devout man, a religious man, a praying man, a giving man, but note this, for all of his religion, praying and giving is not saved. So Peter is gonna bring to him. So God's prepared Cornelius with an angel, He's prepared Peter with a divine vision. And God is working on Peter while he is also working with Cornelius. Again, I want to emphasize this. God always works on both sides before he then brings them together. Typically, this is how God works. I want you to listen to this. He speaks to more than just one person. He speaks to several people or at least two people about the same matter, not just one. So when you're praying and when you're reading the word and when you're waiting on the Lord and you're looking for a direction or an answer to your prayer and you get some thoughts and God drops them into you and you go, I want, is that the Lord? Is that the Holy Spirit? Look for confirmation. This is how God has always worked from the days of the book of Acts, even to modern times. He'll speak to someone else. It might be your spouse, it might be a child, it might be a friend, it might be another brother and sister. He'll say to them the exact same thing. So you're sharing, you know, I was praying and thinking about this, and the Lord spoke to me, whatever. And the person says, you're kidding. The Lord gave me the exact same scripture or the exact same story, or I was just thinking about that and you started talking about it. That's been on my mind too. How many of you have ever experienced that? That's the Holy Spirit. That's how out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, confirmation comes back to you. It's not just you in your head, but it's the Spirit of God. It's like, wow, Lord, 
I'm not alone. And you spoke to my brother or you spoke to my sister and now I hear it and I receive it. So here's Peter. He had pretty much put God in a box of limitations. And God now sends him a vision that shakes his box up. Look, all of us as human beings, we like you know, patterns and we like things that kind of stay consistent and the same. But without realizing it, sometimes we end up putting God in a box of limitations. And God will come and shake your little box up <laughs> and move you out of that limitation because God is bigger than our understanding. He's greater than the most kind person that you might think that you are. He's bigger, his heart is bigger, his grace is deeper, his mercies are more wonderful. His plans and purposes exceed abundantly above and beyond all that we could ask, hope, think, dream, or imagine. Can I hear an amen on that? So I love this. Um, did we read verses 17 through 23? We did not, okay. Did we? Okay, so let's read that. Verses 17 through 23, because Peter has an earthly visitation. It says, now while Peter wondered with himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called out and asked whether Simon, whose nickname was Peter, was living there. And while Peter thought about the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Remember, they sent two men plus a soldier. He was a centurion and sent them. So I love that. He says, go nothing doubting, for I have sent them. And then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, he's a just man who fears God, has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. And then he invited them in and lodged with them. Note verse 23. This is where a change happens. Peter is starting to get it because normally a religious Jew would never invite unknown Gentiles into his home for lodging, for food, for fellowship. So Peter is beginning to connect the dots and say, wow, I guess I better open my home and my family and my, my you know, whatever that I have to these guys that are here. And on the next day, Peter went with them and some brethren from Joppa accompanied them. So I, I love this. Uh, and then beginning in verse 24, verses 24 through 26, I wanna note this. Peter was willing to let go of his pride and prejudice and share God's heart for a lost world. Can I hear an amen on that? To let go of our pride and prejudice, to open our hearts and our homes to someone that needs the Lord and someone that is lost. Uh, and by the way, this would be a good thing if you're in a growth group, in a small group or whatever, to talk about. Are there areas where I've become rigid or hard or uh, I've put God in a box that God is wanting me to loosen up or open up or be ready to receive new information 
so that I can express his heart for a bigger world and for those who are lost. So beginning in verse 24, it says, And following the following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and called together his relatives and close friends. Now this speaks again to the heart of Cornelius. He's seeking God. He's a God-fearer. He's a man already who is devout. He prays the same time the Jewish people pray and give their offerings in the temple. And now when an angel comes to him, he says, well, I can't just keep this for me. I gotta invite my whole family to come hear this. Man, I got visited by an angel. You don't think he was telling everybody in his family, I got visited by an angel. (laughs) And I want you all to come together because he's sending somebody that he told me his name and the guy, it's his name, his name is Peter. He's right up the road, and he's coming to tell us the message of God. So, I, man, as a preacher, you got to love this. They're gathering a crowd that wants to hear what you have to say. Can, you, you know, can I hear an amen on that? Nice. Verse 25, and as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Uh-oh. But Peter lifted him up, saying, stand up. I myself am also a man. I love that because you know, Cornelius doesn't know. I mean, and his religion, men are gods, and you know, Caesar said he was a god. And so here's Peter, who was with Jesus, and he just bows down and worships. And Peter says, Hey, stand up. I'm a man just like you're a man. In the Bible, it never allows men to be worshiped, not even the apostles to be worshiped, nor are angels ever worshiped. But there is someone who allowed himself to be worshipped, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. He received worship because he is the incarnate Son of God, Messiah, Savior, and Lord, worthy of our worship and our praise. So verse 26 says, but Peter lifted him up, saying, stand up, I myself also am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. It's like, wow, full house. Then he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man, like me, to keep company with or go to another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. So Peter's getting it. He's connecting the dots. It's not about food or regulations or rituals. It's about people. I should never say I could never love you. I could never talk to you. I could never have a friendship with you. I could never share with you the most important thing in my life which is my relationship with Jesus. Verse 29, therefore I came without objection as soon as I was uh, sent for. I asked then, for what reason have you sent me? So Cornelius said four days ago, so Cornelius fills everybody in the house in. I was fasting. So not only does the guy pray, but he fasts and prays. And at the ninth hour I prayed in my house and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, the angel and said, Cornelius knew my name. Your prayer has been heard, and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Stand there, or send therefore to Joppa, and call Simon, by name here, whose nickname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. And when he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now therefore, We are all present before God to hear all things commanded by you. Uh, I love this. So here, Peter says, okay, 
I'm going to preach it then. And I love this. Look at verse 34. Verses 34 through 43. Peter now preaches that only through Jesus, the Messiah, is their salvation. Verse 34. It says, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. Very important. He used to think God does show partiality. In other words, in modern English, God likes some people better than he likes other people. That's what Peter was saying. And I was one of the people that God liked better than you. So he says, now I realize that's not the way God is. God loves everybody equally without partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God, listen, to be judge of the living and the dead. All people. To him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him, will receive remission or the forgiveness of sins. And I love that. Listen to this. Peter preached the same good news of the gospel to Cornelius and all of these Gentiles that he had originally preached to the Jews. He did not teach another message, a lesser message, a partial message. Everything that he delivered to the Jewish nation, he, on Pentecost, he now delivered to the Gentiles. It was exactly the same. And there are a couple of very important truths that I need you to take note of. Number one, the idea that one religion is as good as another is completely false. Those who say that we should, you know, we can worship a God. God has many names. There are many religions. It doesn't matter. Religions are like the spokes of a wheel. They start at different circumferences. They call God by different names, but they all end up at the same hub is a lie. And it is contrary to Scripture. Peter is now opening the door to the whole Gentile world, and he's giving the same message of salvation, the same Savior, the same way to have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. He says, Jesus, hey, Cornelius, centurion, Roman guy from Italy who was raised with all the paganism. Jesus alone is ordained by God to be the judge of the living and the dead, all of humanity. Through his name alone comes the forgiveness of sins. Jesus said in John chapter 4, verse 22, salvation is of the Jews. And there is no other salvation, and there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved than the name of Jesus. 
And I know that there are modern people who will say, leave Cornelius alone, leave his religion alone. It's part of his culture, and it's a shame for you to change his culture. And to that, Scripture says, no, we're not going to leave that alone. Because there is no other way, there is no other God, there is no other Savior, there is no other judge, and there is no other name by which we can be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen? The second thing is this, the seeking Savior will find the seeking sinner. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, and let's read this scripture out loud together. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Praise God. All right, well, let's close with verses 44 through 48. It's a a long story, but it's a good story, isn't it? Okay, so verse 44. While Peter, now I love this. Ooh, this is awesome. This does my heart so good as a preacher. While Peter was still speaking the words. Translation, he had not finished preaching yet. The Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because of the gift of the Holy Spirit was now being poured out on the Gentiles. It's like, you're kidding. You love them too? Just like us. We heard the word and were filled with the Spirit on Pentecost. Now they're hearing the word and Peter didn't even get to finish his message And the Holy Spirit, they were believing. This is what it tells us. Everything they heard Peter say was, yep, 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 yep. And the Spirit of God fell upon them because they believed it. He didn't wait for the end. He just said, you're saved. That's it. That's all I'm looking for. And he poured his Spirit out upon them. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Man, that's crazy. All these Gentiles, they get saved, they get baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they're all speaking in tongues by the end of the deal. Then Peter answered, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Spirit just as we Jews have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And then they asked him, hey, could you stay with us a few days and disciple us? And I bet that was a rich time. I want to just say this, there are two restorations. By the way, if you'll notice, God gave two visitations. Cornelius had a visitation, Peter had a visitation, and now there are two restorations, the very two words God gave us for the beginning of the year. Cornelius, as a Roman Gentile, is now restored in a relationship with God, and he is the door that will open to the rest of the Gentiles of the world. Peter is restored. He has a visitation of a vision, but he's restored to realize, wow, it's not just the Jews that God really does love the whole world. The entrance of the Gentiles into the church, by the way, was not a new plan, but it was something that God had promised from the beginning. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. Let's read this out loud. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's Abraham 4,000 years ago. God's plan was through him, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And lastly, Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 3. Let's read this. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, 
and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Let's all stand, shall we? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Now, I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. And I'm going to give you an opportunity. You know, if there's somebody here, somebody watching online at home, somebody listening to the radio, whatever, and you've never, you're a good person, you started going to church, you're hearing the word, you're praying, you're devout, you're religious even, you get it, you're seeking God, but you have not yet received salvation. This is what it's all about. So I'm going to just say a very simple childlike prayer. I'm going to invite all those here that know the Lord. You can pray with me as we remember and rehearse the beauty of our salvation. But there must come a definite moment and a time in your life where you open the door of your heart, and that's by praying, which I'm going to lead you in a very simple prayer of asking Jesus to come in your heart and forgive you of your sins, and then you receive salvation. So if you pray this prayer with me, Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into them and give them salvation. So if you're willing, I want you to say this prayer out loud with me wherever you are. Now let's pray it together, phrase by phrase. Pray after this matter. Dear Lord, I admit that I am a sinner. And I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I am so sorry for everything I've done wrong. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross in my place. I open the door of my heart and I ask you to come into my life to be my personal Lord and Savior. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit I receive the gift of eternal life. Now help me follow you, Jesus, all the way to heaven until I see you face to face. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome into the family if you prayed that prayer. Welcome, welcome. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.